And that was Miranda, <laughs> perhaps the most socially awkward human being on the face of this earth. Well done, Miranda, which fits perfectly for our theme today on trying to be a better you, being a person of influence. When we started this entire series for this month, we assumed that you understood that when it came to being a person of influence, it was to actually do good things, not a negative person of influence, but actually a positive person of influence. We're going to get back to Miranda in a little while's time. Um, This past month, we've touched on two themes, two topics already. The first one uh, has been choosing um, to see the good. You know those kinds of people that always choose to see the bad in things? You know those people? You know those people? Yeah? those people. So we thought one of the ways in which we can actually be a person of influence, because we all play a leadership role, is to decide to be a person who actually chooses to see the good. You know, if you have come along this morning and uh, you have been dragged along, um, maybe you're just checking out God, maybe you have your arms folded and you wonder, um, do I believe any of this stuff or I don't think so, Uh, I think I'm just checking it out, that is okay. Maybe you came here this morning and you were tricked, you thought this was the bushwalking club and it's not, Um, and you're staying here, that's good. I want you to know that at the end of the day, um, whether you believe the Jesus thing or not, uh, his kind of communities, his church communities, should be places where people regularly, routinely choose to see the good in others. Have you ever bumped into someone who is an encourager? Yeah? Bumped into someone like Bronwyn talked about this morning, someone who just poured themselves into you. You feel like you you stand taller, don't you? you? You leave their presence, you leave their company taller. And that's what I want us to be around here. Someone, Some people who actually choose to see good in others. So Steve spoke last week. Um, the second part of the, the series was choosing to celebrate with others. Because we don't do that enough, do we? We just need to celebrate at times and mark significant moments. Have you ever bumped into anyone who is just known as a wet blanket? Anyone? Just a wet blanket. They can pour water on any joy whatsoever. If you ever have ever bumped into one of these people and they call themselves a follower of Jesus, can I just apologize to you right now? These people can suck oxygen out of a vacuum. But the reality is, is that when I see and look at the person of Jesus, he seems to be someone who enjoys celebrating. He enjoys a party. In fact, one of the most significant encounters that Jesus has with the man is by the name of Zacchaeus. He's a short guy, he's walking along, and Zacchaeus, Jesus is walking along, and he decides he wants to check out Jesus, so he climbs up into a tree. And Jesus, as he's walking along, he stops, and he looks up, and he sees this guy hanging up in a tree. Now, I don't know if you've ever walked down Swanson Street before, or down your driveway, and you've seen someone checking you out in a tree, yeah, you would probably report them. But Jesus stops and he says, I want to come to your place. And so we finally discover that Jesus is actually having a party at this guy's place. And he is known as a tax collector. Now, we play this game at home. It's called Scumbags and Warlords. Does anyone know that card game, Scumbags and Warlords? Well, if if you wanted to know what uh, Zacchaeus was defined by and how other people would have perceived him, he is a scumbag. And like, if you're sitting at the table and you're at the bottom of the scumbags and warlords game, Zacchaeus is sitting like three chairs further down. And Jesus says, I want to come to your place. And so he does. And somewhere, Jesus is hanging out at this guy's place and he's having a party. 
Somewhere between the duftuf music and Jesus eating the fine food that's on offer there, Zacchaeus actually makes this profound statement at near the end of the party. He stands up in the midst of all of his tax collector scumbag friends and he says, Jesus, if I've defrauded anyone of their wealth, which he has, what I want to do is give half of my wealth to the poor and pay back everyone that I've defrauded four times over. And if you were sitting at that party, you would go, what? What just happened to Zacchaeus? What happened? Because we started the party playing the duft of music and eating the fine food, and he was a criminal. And come the end of the party, he stands up amongst all of his friends, and he says, you know what? He's acting like a Mother Teresa. Something happened. If you were there at that party, you would have sat back and said, what on earth has just transpired in Zacchaeus' life? There's just been this radical transforming change all over Duft Duft music and some really fine food, and just somehow being in the presence of Jesus, there's been a change. Jesus celebrated with other people, which is a great lead-in to what we want to talk about today, on choosing to be a better you. How does that happen? How does that happen in your life? I wonder if you have ever had a Miranda moment. Have you ever had a Miranda moment where you realize, I actually would like to change something about myself. And then you've tried, and it has been radically unsuccessful. In fact, it has been appalling. Or maybe, let's just shift it back for a moment, the moment when you realize there needs to be change. My wife and I, we studied overseas in the US of A for three years, some years ago now. And when I first arrived as a good old Aussie boy, I had in tow uh, something we know here very, very well in our culture called sarcasm. Does anyone know that? Sarcasm. We use sarcasm like we're dealing out cards. Yep. It just rolls off the tongue. We all get it. And clearly they didn't. In the first month of me being in the United States of America, I had to decide that I just needed to change something radically about my sarcasm, which I just had in tow in my backpack, brought along for everyone else to hear. I would turn up on campus at the university that I was studying at, and I would look at someone, and I would say to them, because you're getting to know them, you know? And in Australia, if if we're getting to know someone, and we're just tipping over that point of maybe being mates, we, we, we have a dig at one another. That's when you know you're on the inn in Australia, right? Someone offends you in a nice way, yeah? And so I would turn up to these people that I was getting to know in class on campus and I would say, you know what, you're having a really, your hair looks amazing today. (laughs) You're having a really good hair day, aren't you? And they would go, oh really? That's amazing. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. And I'm like, actually, no, your hair's appalling. Um, It looks like you just woke up this morning and you just kind of gave it the once over. Are you having a dig at me? I go, well, no, I'm not really having a dig at you, but in, in Australia where I come from, there's this thing called sarcasm. And, and, and when you say it's actually a backhanded way of giving you a compliment, which shows that we're actually mates and we could be friends together forever. <laughs> and they would say, are you having a dig at me? Are you being mean? Like after the third time in the first month that I tried that, that backfired, I went, that is it. I have to just jettison the sarcasm completely. So anyone here who is travelling over to the United States in any time, in shape or form, just give you the heads up. Has anyone had a Miranda moment where they realise they need 
to change? Anyone? Or is it just me? Maybe I'm the only socially awkward person in this room that needs to change. But what I discover is this. Is that when it comes to changing anything in our lives about being a better you, because that's what today's about, not choosing to see the good or necessarily choosing to celebrate the moment. Those are good things. But I want to talk about, about choosing to be a better you. How does it actually happen? Because what I discovered and we saw in Miranda is that she makes sort of this decisive moment of change and then she's walking up the stairs and she says, but I'd like to do it tomorrow. It's too hard. When I think about change in anyone's life, I reckon I call that which Miranda just expressed a ceiling. A ceiling is something that prevents me from growing beyond it and through it. It actually prevents me from growing and changing in life. There's four ceilings that come to mind. The first one, Miranda said perfectly, it's too hard. It's hard. Has anyone here tried to do the fitness kick? Yep. Miranda was doing it on her way up to her room to rest. <laughs> she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get fit and healthy. I'm going to be reigning men. Hallelujah. I'm just going to get into this. I'm going to make a start. Anyone who's done that knows that the first day is the easiest day, the best day. Isn't that right? What is the hardest day? The second day or the third day. Because that's when your body starts to hurt. And you're going to say to yourself, it is hard. Oh, do I really want to run 25K? Did you do it this morning, Paul, before we came here? Oh, last week. All right. See, because I bet you this morning you got up and you said, it is too hard. Okay. And... <laughs> In fact, I was having a conversation with someone just at the netball court about uh, four months ago, and he was saying to me, you know, I just want to get fit. I just want to lose a bit of weight. I just want to get, you know, strong in my body. And I said, you know what? You can do that. You know, I started that last year. I, I, I decided I'm going to get fit again. And the, the, the best thing to do if you want to do that is you get your shoes and you take them to the door. Because I've discovered that what's even harder than day two or day three is actually getting your feet into the shoes. So the easiest thing for you to do is take your shoes, put them at your doorstep, pointing towards the street. Put your clothes next to the shoes. So when you stumble out of bed of a morning, you just put them on, and the hardest thing to do is put your foot into the shoe. And then you open the door, and the first 500 meters, it feels horrible. But after that, it feels excellent. Go and talk to Paul later on. He is someone who does this routinely, regularly. He doesn't say, it's too hard, that is not his ceiling but it might be yours. The second ceiling that comes to mind in preventing any change in people's lives, and this is, this is true, is people there, there are people out there, believe it or not, who say something like this, I don't see it. Have you ever bumped into someone like this who has this ceiling hanging over their head? You know, so you met someone and they have the breath thing happening and you're wondering how, how do I, how do I break it to them? It's, 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 and you give them a mint, and you give them a chewy the next day, and they don't get the hint. Or maybe you've said to someone in your life, you know what, I've just noticed that you have this, this strange habit. You cough and you clear your throat like, like a million times a day. Have you ever thought of, that's a really bit awkward? And the person just looks at you and goes, no, nah, I have no idea what you're, what you're talking about. No, just not, not there, not at all. Yeah? Anyone? No, just me. There are some people out there who can mouth the words, I just don't see it. In fact, if you try and point out to these people 
that there might be something that needs change and they don't see it, they might even react to you violently, like you've just stood on their toe. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you tell me about my da-da-da-da? Yeah, fill in the gap. I just don't see it. Third thing, oh, this, this I just don't see it. Perfect. Perfect illustration of this. I, I was running, doing one of those health kick things about two months ago, um, and it was, the sun had gone down, it was that time of the evening when the light was really fading, and I was jogging along the, the track down near the creek where we live. And it's getting dark, and I'm jogging along, and I notice up ahead there's someone who's running, I'm thinking, I'm going to catch them in a moment. But the problem was, is that it was a single track, there was grass on either side, and it was a little bit wobbly on the track, a little few bits of rock, and I thought, how am I going to do this? Because as I got closer, I realized that it was a female who was running, and she had headphones in. Have you noticed these people run with headphones? And as I'm jogging closer to her, actually I was sprinting, I was, I was going at a, a, a remarkable pace. <laughs> I was on world record time. And uh, as I was running towards her, I thought, you know what, it's, it's dark, it's a single lane track, and I am just going to frighten her, you know, because she's got her earphones in. And so I'm thinking as I'm jogging closer, how am I going to actually run close to her so that she sees me so that I don't frighten the living daylights out because it's dark and she's going to be thinking someone's going to mug her or something. I mean, this is the worst time to run. And she's got the, the headphones in. And so I slow down and I start to just go on the shoulder of the track, on the grass really, just so she might catch me out of the peripheral. And I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it would happen. As I got close to her, just at the tip of her shoulder, she goes, ah, 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 like it's just this. And she stops and she pulls her headphones out. She goes, you frightened me. And I'm like, I knew, I, 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 I couldn't help it. I, I, she had this ceiling that says, I just don't see it, right? So I slowed down and I said it politely. I just went, have you ever thought of pulling your headphones out so that you can hear someone coming behind you? And this was her response. But I'm listening to S-E-N. As though listening to S-E-N radio is more important than getting frightened to death by someone who's going to run up behind you and mug you to death. But I'm listening to S-E-N. I don't see it. I don't see it at all. Yep. Third, third barrier that often happens... In people's life, and this is this is a common one. I'm afraid. I spoke to a businessman who used to be into property managing, and he would have people come and do seminars on property investing. And he said, my business partner and I, we would have people pay us thousands of dollars, really thousands of dollars, to come and hear our advice about how to do property investing. They said, after all of that, we'd spend a whole day with people at a seminar and tell them what to do, how to property invest, and what would happen is that at the end of the day, we ran some, crunched some data and we realized only 1% or 2% of all the people that paid that big amount of money would actually apply any of the knowledge that we'd given them that day. 1% or 2%. So he said, what we do now is that we start our seminars for people who have paid $1,000, $5,000, $10,000 to hear us speak, and we would say to them, we've done some uh, crunching some stats and found out that only 1% or 2% of all of the people that we speak to actually do Anything with the information we give them. So we want to ask you right now, hands up if you are in that 1% or 2%. <laughs> what would happen? Everyone in the room would put their hand up. I'm in that 1% or 2% and then they look at each other and laugh. You see, what we discovered along the way is that really people were afraid 
to apply any of the principles that we'd given them, what they wanted us to do effectively was tell them which house to buy. I'm afraid. Maybe you're here this morning and the whole Jesus thing is new to you or maybe you've been dragged along or maybe you're checking him out or maybe you don't know he's checking you out. And one of the biggest resistors for you might be that you say, you know, I'm afraid. What about if I actually decide to follow Jesus? What would it mean for my family? What would they think of me? What would my friends say? How would that work? It's a ceiling. Am I going to have to speak funny? I'm going to have to look like the people that I'm seeing here at NCR. That's really awkward. They don't see it. (laughs) I dress differently because they're the ones who are a little bit... Yeah. I'm afraid. Or the last one. And this is the one... If you've got any... If your parents have teenage kids, this is the one that will really grind you to the core is I don't fill in the gap care oh I used to be a high school teacher so around report time you would start to hear this in the class I don't yeah if your parent here look out for this it's going to be coming I I don't care I don't care I don't care it's a language I don't care it's only a language it's only maths I don't care I don't care do you remember saying that yourself Remember asking the question at school saying, why are we learning this? What relevance has this got to my life? Do you ever remember in maths class saying, I am never going to use this ever again in my entire life? Do you remember surds? Do you remember surds? Do you ever remember sitting there and going, if you don't remember it's because you tuned out at this stage, you did say, I don't care. Do you remember surds? I remember learning surds and going, well, what, 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 you know? Am I ever going to? And the teacher would say, yeah, this is good. It expands your mind. If you can answer this, you can answer a whole bunch of other things. It's it's good brain growth. Yeah? Have you ever in your life, when you have a problem, called up a surd? (laughs) Have you ever lent on one? Have you ever asked it for a bank loan? Have you ever used a surd in your entire life after mathematics? So our kids are actually asking a good question, (laughs) aren't they? So what is the point of this? There must be a point in learning surds back then, but you will sometimes hear, I don't care. If you're a mathematician here today and you love numbers, I'm sorry to have offended you. Um, come and explain surds to me later on. So I don't care. Ceilings. In, in fact, when I look around at, at, at myself, at other people, you might know it, but I'm actually often looking for ceilings. We say them. I wonder what ceiling is over your head this morning that you won't grow through it, you won't become a better you because you say maybe one of these things. It's too hard. I don't see it. I'm afraid or I don't care. See, for the person who says it's too hard, what they need is they need to put in more effort. The person who says I don't see it, they need to become more self-aware. The person who says I'm afraid, they need a good dose of courage. The person who says I don't care, they need to be inspired. I wonder what ceiling might be over you today that you're not even aware of. I listen for it in my kids. They might say, oh, I want to do this, but it's too... And I go, the ceiling. In fact, they get sick of it. There's a ceiling there. You know, you've just set your limit. You're not going to go any further than that. You're going to hit your head against the roof and you won't grow at all because you've just set a ceiling. The truth is, you can put in more effort. You can actually go ahead and become more self-aware, you can get a bit more courage, and you can be a bit more inspired. You put all those things together in a bag and you will be able to change some things. You'll be able to change some things. 
In fact, Miranda wanted to change, so she said, I'm going to do the external things, the clothes, the perfume fragrance, and a funny walk. And then I've changed. What I discover, though, is that you can tinker with some of the external things, but this is what I realise, is that we're often tinkering with external things in our lives. I call them the lesser things. What about the greater things? Now, if you're here this morning and you are checking out Jesus or church is unfamiliar to you, I am so glad you're here. Because in the next seven, eight, nine, ten minutes, I want to unpack for you what I think is probably the most profound spiritual insight that Jesus offers, and it's, it's for anyone and everyone. You don't have to be wearing the right clothes to hear this and be able to apply it, but it's, it's profoundly different to the way in which the world thinks. And it's foremostly interested in what's going on with the greater things. For instance, what happens if you want to change something like your impatience? Or what about if you get caught up with something we call envy? Or what about you're someone who just continually, habitually stretches the truth to, to make yourself look a little bit better in other people's eyes and you just, you do it, you, you've been doing it for so long now you don't even know you're doing it, but other people do. Or maybe there's that unforgiveness thing that just sits and resonates with you. Or maybe there's some dimension or aspect to do with the way in which you view yourself or view other people that just continually sits there and doesn't change. Or maybe there's the addiction. What about those greater things? How does that change even happen? And where does it begin? Well, I want to answer that by running you through and walking with you an encounter Jesus had with a man by the name of Nicodemus. You see, Nicodemus, it says, there was a man, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, must have had some Greek background, there's Nico who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. And there's a man by the name of John, and he was an eyewitness and a friend of Jesus, and so he's recorded these events. If, if anyone wants to check out who Jesus is, if you read any of the good news stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you will bump into these people called Pharisees. What's a Pharisee? It's probably important for us to know. A Pharisee was a self-appointed ruler. There was a, a number of them, and they were like a factional group that had their own agenda for the nation of Israel, God's people. If you like, the Pharisees looked around at the world, looked around at their country that was being ruled by Roman occupation, and they were deeply, deeply grieved by it. They were afraid that God's people would become contaminated with other political ideas, with other social ideas, with other spiritualities. And so the Pharisees were people who wanted to effect change. They were afraid that people were becoming contaminated with outside sources, and so they began to study God's laws, and they said, you know what, these are the, the paid-up and proud uh, Melbourne supporters who actually go ahead and book their season tickets two years in advance, no matter, even if it's tough times. And it's been tough times for a long time now. The Pharisees were zealous. They were enthusiastic. They wanted to actually affect change. But they also tipped over at times into being these moral watchdogs. They wanted everyone else to toe the same line. And at best, 
They wanted to not only set a good example, but they wanted everyone else to become as pure and as holy as they considered themselves to be. They weren't earning their way to God or earning their way to heaven. They were actually expressing their devotion to God. And so these Pharisees were some people who, they didn't just learn God's laws, they practiced them, they were fervent, they were passionate about doing that. And there was two particular factions of them. One said, you know what, how are we going to effect change? We're going to pray and ask God to do his thing. We'll live and let live. And there was another group of Pharisees who said, if we can help God along the way, we will take up armed force, we will take up a sword, and if it means through revolutionary means we will overthrow Rome, we will do that. And we're told that there was a man by the name of Nicodemus who was a Pharisee. He's a member of this ruling council, he's passionate, fearful of becoming contaminated, and, and passionate to actually see God's reign and rule come over their land. And it says he came to Jesus at night. At night, that's interesting. Perhaps he came at night because he didn't want to be seen by others. He was still, oh, I'm not quite sure about who this Jesus person is. I don't want to be counted as one of his own, but I just want to check out things. And so this is the conversation he has. Thanks, James. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. You see, if you don't know anything about Jesus, the first thing that, that you'll come to discover is that the people who like Jesus or loathe Jesus, they couldn't help but believing and acknowledging the miraculous signs he performed. There were times in which it's recorded that he caused people's blind eyes to see that he would heal sick people. They would cause the deaf to hear. He did profound, miraculous things that even people who had no experience, perhaps of God, would see this and acknowledge that surely God must be at work in and through this man because we see the signs that he's doing. Thanks, James. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of of God. Unless you are born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What strange words. Nicodemus comes asking about signs and God must be up to something. What are you doing and what does this all this mean? And the first thing that Jesus says to him is, I tell you the truth, unless you are born from above, or that same phrase, born again, you cannot see God's kingdom. Well, Nicodemus has been committed to making sure that God's kingdom, his reign, comes to full fruition in and through his country folk. But he bumps into this strange phrase, born from above, born again. Now, I don't know about you, but if I heard these things, I'd probably trip into the same ideas and thinking that, that Nicodemus did. Thanks, James. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Wow, where it took him automatically was the birthing suite. <laughs> now, we've had three kids, and I'm a visual person. So I probably would have gone here straight where Nicodemus went to. I looked at that and I went, you know what? Three children, and it, it wasn't pretty. So the whole idea and notion of being born again, like I would have gone back to the, this same space, being my mother's... What, what are you talking about here, Jesus? Because this that's awkward. That is really awkward and it's messy. It's not... Yeah. Um, what do you mean? 
have to be born again. Jesus corrects him and says these words. Unless someone is born from water and the Spirit, they cannot enter God's kingdom. That is, cannot experience God's life. Flesh can only, flesh can only give birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born from above. You see, the counterintuitive things that Jesus is trying to point out to Nicodemus that just seem so radically different is that if you want to affect change, if you actually want to experience God's life in you, it's not something that if you just put in more effort, if you just try and become more self-aware, if I just have a little bit more courage, if I just get a little bit more inspired by that particular thing, then it'll all happen for you. And Jesus says... No, that is the way in which the world thinks. This is completely, radically different. It's like you are being born again. It's like you are actually going through the throes of birth again. And it's not something that you do. It's something that God does. And he does it from his realm, from his dimension. If you like, it's as though God reaches down through our ceilings and he actually says, I want to affect change in your life for my good purposes because they're good and it's where you discover life. And so Nicodemus is left with this as a ruler, as a teacher, someone who is longing for change. God would come and rule and take over and radically transform people and he encounters this profound spiritual insight. He says it's not something that you do. Some people think that when you become a Christian, oh, oh, well, it just effectively means being a good person, doesn't it? And then you've got to try harder. No, no. At the foundational level, at the call of following Jesus, anyone who dares to do that, is this, this radical birth that is about God doing things for us that you cannot do for yourself. He reaches through the ceiling, if you like, of selfishness and sin that plague our lives, and he says, I'll break through that because of my son Jesus. And my spirit will give birth to your spirit inwardly. And that will be the thing that radically transforms. Or does that mean I don't have to put in any effort then? No, no, no. It means that you begin with the posture of saying, God, I mean, let's be honest. There are things about our own lives that we try to change, but we we just fail at routinely, don't we? Don't we? At the foundational level, he says, would you do a work in me from outside inwardly here? Because I don't seem to be doing a great job of it myself. You see, when someone comes to know Jesus, it's as though God flings the doors open of his home, of his family, and says, come on in. And then over a period of time, he does some housekeeping. Goes into different rooms and actually begins to change. We can resist that. Set a ceiling, set a ceiling, set a ceiling. Or we can adopt that same posture. God, it's something that you do. Would you give birth to some change in my life? So where do we end up? Thanks, James. Being a better you. Three things I want you to think about and take in with you today. First thing is this. Change begins with God. It's this profound, radical sense of, 
I can't make these things happen. Impatience, anger, uh, some of that lust stuff on the side, some of the stretching of the truths. I need to rely upon, whether you're here this morning and you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, or you're just checking him out, this is a profound insight. Begins actually fundamentally with God. Secondly, it's no longer based upon birthright. See, Nicodemus came to Jesus thinking, I've got the goods because I've been brought into the, the right family, the Jewish family, and they've got God's laws. And so that automatically puts me on the inside of God's kind of cool group. And Jesus is saying, no, no, anyone can experience that birth from above. Again, it has no geographic social boundaries. It's not just for the chosen few. And thirdly, and, and this is just, if you're here this morning, this is just for the people who say, yeah, I'm a Jesus follower, um, so you can ignore it at this moment here, okay? Is that the life of actually experiencing God at work to affect change in people's lives involves this daily, I've used the word surrender, to follow Jesus. God, would you do a work in me that I cannot seem to do for myself? In fact, when you're doing some of your house cleaning and you tap on my shoulder and say, yeah, that, there's that thing about that stretching the truth. I think we need to change that. You can put up a ceiling or you can say, God, would you radically do for me what I sometimes feel unable to do for myself? Change. Being a better you. I wonder if you've got some ceilings there this morning. Because as these guys come up, they're going to play in a moment a song, because I actually want us to reflect on these things this morning. I want to leave you with four challenges, and you might want to engage with one of them. Let's just jump down one. I want you to think this morning. Uh, if I'm just checking out Jesus, and maybe, 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 He's actually there or maybe I want to discover more about who he is or maybe I want to find out more and I'm at the point I've just been looking from afar but I would like to know a little bit more. Would you embark on with me something we call around here called a journeys course? Take one of your white cards, write your name on it and say, I would like to do a journeys course. Maybe you've said I want to do one of these in the past and it hasn't happened or maybe you want to do a refresher on how do I actually get to know this person, Jesus? Non-threatening. will not ask you to do things that you, I wouldn't ask myself to do. No silly walks. Just to find out more about him. Will you put that on the card? I did fail to mention one thing when Nicodemus came to Jesus. Jesus said, you must be born of water in the spirit. Water? What is that? Water in the ancient world and plunging people under it and coming out was this profound sign that they have actually experienced that birth from above. If you were here this morning and you said, yeah, I've experienced that or I've actually chosen to follow Jesus, but I've never actually done the plunging under the water bit, then would you take one of those cards and say, I'll do that. Because it's just one of those ways of me saying, I would like to grow, I would like to learn more, God, and I would like to actually follow you. Guys, if you are here this morning, uh, Stuart and I, who looks after the bloke stuff, we, we had a little posse last week and we said, you know what, we guys have disposable time during the car, in the car, this is right, or on the train. You've got about half an hour of a morning or an evening. It's 
You get tired of the evening. We want to actually start to infuse some learning stuff into people so they can listen and actually track with discovering more about who God is for their lives and how it applies to their workspace. So we are going to do some podcasting. And uh, there's a bloke by the name of Andy Scandy, great teacher, and we're going to filter that out to a whole bunch of people, blokes particularly. And so during the time when these guys sing, the only thing I want you to do If you want to make a start and say to God, here I am, I'm open, would you continue that birthing in me and growing in me, write down that mobile number. Stuart's at home today, he's looking after a sick person. Can you text him and say, pod me in, alright? That's the only thing you guys need to do, is put that mobile number in your phone. I know, it's too hard. Put it in your phone, text him. Let's back up one, James. We've been looking at a passage this week, this month, you may not have even known. It's in our newsletter. For those people who kind of follow Jesus, this applies to you. It says, God has bestowed upon us through his divine power everything that we need for life and godliness. That doesn't mean that God wants to rob you of of all the good stuff of life. He actually wants you to experience more of his patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. I reckon that's a brilliant, brilliant truth. God has bestowed upon us, through his divine power, everything that we need for life and godliness. So jump one forward, James. If you want to just mull on that this week, that's a good word, mull. Reflect on it. Say, God, speak to me through it. Why don't you just take that passage, the Bible might be new for you, but you can, someone will explain 2 Peter 1, 3. Would you just memorize that? And say, God, would you mess with my head if you want to? This week. To help me be a bit of me. Because you say it comes from above, it comes from you, your power at work, and I need that. Wherever you are this morning, in the quiet now, enough speaking. Would you listen? Would you allow God to speak to you? And would you make some decisions about these things? In being a better me.